Friday afternoon, KPFK on your radio at 90.7 FM, time for intervision, heard all over Southern California at 90.7 FM, and out of Santa Barbara County at 98.7 FM, streaming for the world at kpfk.org. Nice to be with you today. It's a beautiful Friday in Southern California today. I'm not sure if we skipped spring and went right into summer or if this is a late spring. Had a little rain the other day, but boy, weather like this reminds us why we're here in Southern California and why we put up with the downside. But in any event, here we are together on the radio on a Friday and uh, we're looking good, feeling good, heading into a nice weekend. As always, thanks to you, commercial free. And uh, let me introduce this program just just because I know there's always a few people who are new to the show and not really sure what to expect from InterVision. That's part of the fun. We're often not sure ourselves. But this is a strip heard Monday through Friday. Uh, it's uh, InterVision three days a week. It's the Aware Show two days a week. But it's always between 1 and 2 in the afternoon, Monday through Friday, and it's a program about spirituality and health. It's a program... Especially on Friday, I like to describe it as a show about consciousness, about metaphysics and mysticism, and uh, really the deeper issues of who we are and why we think and feel and act the way we do. These are questions I've had on my mind since I was a teenager. It's one of the reasons that I became a broadcast journalist, and uh, I tolerated that for about 20 years, and then... Radio and TV just started getting, at least on the commercial side of things, uh, more and more uncomfortable for me. I, I just really couldn't do it after a certain point. So some time back, a couple of decades ago, I gave all of that up, went out and got myself a real job and a real career, and uh, as a result, have been a volunteer in KPFK for 13 years now, a little bit more, and and uh, much happier than I ever was in commercial radio. So that's the good news. We're here till 2 with no commercials at all. And, again, that's thanks to you and uh, to your good support of uh, this radio station. Today we're going to, well, in a way, dovetail on a topic from four or five weeks ago, a topic that 
we spoke to right out of fundraising in, uh, gosh, it must have been the end of February, first part of, uh, even earlier than that, maybe end of January. I've lost track of the dates now. What are we in, March? Anyway, we talked at the time about happiness, what happiness is. We talked at the time about how most of us are looking for happiness as if we don't already have it, looking for happiness as if it were a outcome or a goal, or even, if you don't mind, a little more complicated, as if happiness were the result of some sort of behavior. And I suggested at the time that uh, maybe we had it backwards, maybe like the dog chasing its own tail. We were looking for something that we already have. Well, got a lot of good response to that. A lot of people liked it. I got emails. I got posts on the website. So I'm going to reprise it today, only we're going to substitute for happiness the word love. And we're going to talk about the will to love and the various frequencies of love, because love, it's sort of like a keyboard, a piano keyboard. There's several octaves involved here, a whole bunch of uh, variations on the theme from the highest levels of compassion and and sacrifice and forgiveness and selflessness, even fearlessness, to the low end of the scale, which is sort of a greedy, lusty, uh, we we may even call it love, but it's just sort of a uh, desperate bodies grabbing at each other, hoping that we can find some kind of short-term fix. And, uh, of course, it never really works. might get you through the night, so-called warm arrangement, You might even call it love. It might even last 30, 60 days, sometimes maybe even three months before you realize this ain't the real deal. What's wrong? That's what we're going to talk about. I think what's wrong is that we're expecting our partners and our friends and our lovers and our parents and our kids and others to supply for us something we already have but fail to recognize. So, the same thing, only we're going to call it love instead of happiness, and look at the ramifications, the implications, and take your telephone calls a little bit later in the hour also. So, I'll do a little commentary here for about 20 minutes, and then we'll take a break at the bottom of the hour, and uh, take your telephone calls. Your comments also on this topic of love, it's such a huge uh, area. And such a complicated topic that I think we could we could have love as the topic of a program on spirituality week after week after week and never run out of material. And uh, so let's roll up our sleeves and wade into it. Thanks for joining us. Hope you can stick around. And again, give some thought to what uh, I'm describing and discussing here so that At the bottom of the hour, when we open up the telephones, you can give us a call. Brooks is our producer. You'll talk to her, and uh, that's a fun part of the program, too. This is such an incredible audience, the KPFK audience in general, the InterVision Aware Show audience, a remarkable group of women and men. So we like to give you a chance to get on the air whenever you can. I want to remind you to visit the kpfk.org website uh, for information on the podcast of this program, which remains free. 
and uh, we we plan to keep it that way. I am thinking about doing some other podcasts, but I I imagine the KPFK Intervision Program will continue to podcast for free. And uh, KPFK.org is a remarkable uh, uh, source of resources. That's a little redundant to say it that way, but I'm not sure how else to describe it. Resource Central. You can find websites for all the different radio programs there, and the schedule and the personnel and upcoming events. And I was chatting with our webmaster, Ali, a couple of days ago. and So I thought this morning... And again this afternoon to mention it, the kpfk.org website, bookmark it or write it on the wall someplace and, and check it out on a regular basis. All right, let's uh, get into this topic here, the topic of love. I think the first problem that we have is that we're using the same word, love as an emotional feeling, to refer to love as a spiritual energy, a frequency. In fact, in metaphysics, the concept that love is really the only thing that's true, the only thing that's real, the only thing that endures, the only thing that exists, is a pretty central concept. And yet, religion doesn't really explain it. The philosophers will dig into it sometimes, and certainly much has been written by philosophers and, and poets, lyricists, psychologists, and all kinds of folks trying to nail down the elusive nature of love. But I think a good place to begin is, why are we using the same word in these two completely different contexts? Are they completely different contexts? I, you know, you know I, I think so. How else can you explain hundreds of millions of Christians around the world saying, love your enemy, but having no idea what it means? And certainly little interest in practicing it. My God, if our response to 9-11 was any indication, there's, there's, Nary a Christian among us. Love your enemy. What does that mean? We don't know. Because we confuse spiritual love with emotional love. We figure we have to have some sort of uh, natural affinity to love somebody. There's got to be some chemistry there. Or the other model, of course, is magnetism. I've got to be attracted to somebody I love. I can't love somebody that I don't even like. Can I? Much less love somebody who I fear. Could I? And what does that even mean, to love your enemy? Much of pacifism is, is uh, in, in not just the Christian tradition, but uh, there are, of course, pacifists in, to some extent in all of the religious and philosophical traditions. And much of that is based on this concept that... Uh, when you love your enemy, you create conditions that make the enemy less likely to see you as a threat. In other words, love is the alternative to fear, the antidote to fear. If fear is a shadow, an empty, dark void, then love is the light 
that uh, replaces the shadow. Again, not simply as an emotion. And this is where I'd like us to, to dig in, just to wrestle for a little bit with this idea of, I love you. What, what does that mean? Now, as far back as Plato and probably before that, people have tried to delineate the different kinds of love. Uh, the Greeks talk about agape, for example, which is supposed to be Christian love. It's really brotherly love, for the word predates Christianity. Um it means basically to love thy neighbor as thyself, to to see God in all things, and to, to to have to deal with the fact that your neighbor is not just a guy next door to you or or even down the block. We have to take a look at what does love your neighbor mean? How far does that neighborhood go? And, of course, ideally it's to the exclusion of no one. Imagine if we had, I mean, I'm just thinking now, can you imagine if George Bush spoke like that, or John Kerry, or Bill Clinton, or, I don't mean just to put it on, uh, you know, the Republicans as loveless uh, haters and and demonic pirates and robber barons and such. There's plenty of those guys in the Democratic Party as well. But can you imagine if we had a leader that talked like that and and who wasn't really pushing any kind of religion on us, didn't want us to join anything or sign up for anything, but just recognized in human beings this remarkable capacity to care? Now, if I was an atheist or better said, an agnostic, if I just didn't believe in things spiritual, it would have to be our caring nature, our capacity, ability, our willingness to love that uh, would win me over to the sense that there's got to be some unifying field, some coherent force at work here. Because love is not logical. Love is not reasonable. I know there's a lot of books, uh, The God Delusion and a number of other books that are real popular now about how God does not exist. But as I understand these books, what they're talking about is a remote and separate God, uh, a God that that looks like a, a man that lives out on the edge of the universe someplace in a, a little hermit shack called heaven. And if you're lucky, you'll get to join him. But the idea of a unified field, even Einstein was looking, lots of physicists look for the force, the energy that unifies all others, that makes the universe into one whole thing, in spite of its appearance as a bunch of separate little bits and parts. And I think it's this capacity to care that is has been, at least for me, most persuasive. Really anxious to hear what you think about this too. Again, that that that's all I need. I'm I've I've never signed on to any particular religion. That's why I love philosophy. I just sort of pick and choose. And I don't mean to say that philosophy is believe whatever you feel like believing. We were discussing just before airtime a couple of us out in the green room how philosophy has a lot of logic and, and, and reasoning behind it. And if you look at the our caring nature, the willingness of people to sacrifice, to even give their lives for others, uh, we've, we've been talking about 
in my family in the last few days, uh, all the deaths of pets, all the cats and the dogs that have died recently. I guess the late news today is it has something to do with rat poison and wheat that we're buying from China. But uh, how is it logical that we would love our cats and our dogs, much less each other, as much as we do? How could uh, human beings, animals who supposedly evolved from pond scum or swing down out of the trees as apes, if we're simply animals, what is this endearing element that we are imbued with? And certainly animals care for their own, for their offspring, although it stops there. You know, I don't know that, uh, well, domestic animals, certainly your dog can learn to love your cat and vice versa. I used to have a cat and a dog <laughs> that really loved each other. They really, really did. Um but only humans, it appears anyway, have the capacity to love all of life. Most of us don't. We don't even recognize life as a ecosystem necessary to support life itself, that life begets life, and that caring about that is love. It's just not a logical thing to care so much. Maybe you could make the argument that it is, and fine, I'd like to hear that, but... It's just such a miracle to me. So that's one point I want to make, that romantic love, love is an emotion, some magnetic attraction or some chemistry, some sort of affinity that we have that makes the heart go pitter-pat. That is not spiritual love. Spiritual love is a unifying force that connects everything, seemingly separate thing, to every other seemingly separate thing, and yet the fact that there really is no separation is the result of deep, deep caring, deep, fearless love, love without any fear whatsoever. And that's that love your enemy kind of love, uh, unconditional love that's very different than the emotion. The second point I want to make here, and I think this is real important also. We talked about this a few weeks ago in the context of happiness, but let's revisit it as love. And that's the idea that it is not a destination or the result of some behavior. <laughs> I think this is big too. There's a wonderful saying that there is no way to love Love is the way. Maybe you've heard the same thing said about happiness. There is no way to happiness. It is not a result or a goal or an outcome, but the motive. It's the motivator. It's the vehicle that gets you there. It's the journey, <laughs> not the destination. Okay, Pretty significant, pretty important point. Not too many people discuss it, but pretty important point. There's even a similar quote that the peace movement uses often, and I really like it in this iteration as well, which is that there is no way to peace. Peace is the way. Now, whether we say that about peace or happiness or love, 
it gives you pause. You have to stop, scratch your head a second, and go, wait a minute, hold on a second. What are we talking about here? Because most of us are, well, the image that keeps coming up for me is a dog chasing its tail. Uh, that's always fascinated me. The dog, on some level, has to know that's its tail. I don't know. Is it just playing? Does it does it really think the tail is other than itself? And if it caught the tail, what would it do? I, I've seen dogs actually catch their tails. It's <laughs> then what do you do? I don't know. You let go and start over again. There's something more, more fun about the chasing the tail than catching the tail. But the idea that the dog doesn't at least seem to recognize its own tail reminds me of our, and I'll be careful here, either unwillingness or inability to recognize that we are the love we're looking for, that you've already got it. Now, this is at once incredibly liberating, but it's also frightening, because we think of responsibility as a burden, and then we go right back into the dog chasing its tail. Oh, but what if I'm not worthy of loving myself? What does that even mean to love myself? Oh, but if I loved myself too much, then I would be uh, pompous or arrogant or uh, conceited, and then nobody would like me, and then how am I ever going to get the love that I need from other people? But wait a minute. If love is who you are, then you don't really need love from other people. We want it. This is the, this speaks in psychology to the whole idea of codependence and people pleasing. There's nothing wrong with wanting people to love you. There's nothing wrong with wanting to please other people, to share your happiness. Wasn't it Byron, the poet, Lord Byron, that said, happiness is born a twin. Something nice happens to you. Happiness, like love, peace of mind. First thing you want to do is share it. Nothing wrong with that. It's when we need to be loved, when we need acknowledgement, when, when we're not happy simply giving, but we need something in return, some level of appreciation or, again, gratitude or acknowledgement. That's when we get into trouble. When we say, I need your love, I love you, why don't you love me? As if it's some sort of commodity to be passed back and forth like a bushel of apples. Here's my love. Would you give me some love back? I'll give you a, there's even a song, a bushel and a peck, right? I'll give you this basket of fruit if you give me a basket of fruit. And it's absurd. Love doesn't work that way. It's much more magnetic. It's much more like a field, a magnetic field that that rises up spontaneously. There is no giving or receiving in a magnetic field. Think of, go back to grade school and the bar magnet. You know, the north end of the bar magnet, does it give its positive charge to the south in return for which the south shares its negative charge with the North Pole of the magnet, I mean, it's silly on the surface. At what point on the bar magnet does the North Pole become the South Pole? Well, there is no point. As a result of this 
unifying field, this magnetic field that takes the appearance of opposites and and I don't want to not not solidifies it, but there's that word again, unifies it, I guess. Or how about harmonizes it into one whole thing? That's just part of the magic of love. So the the two key points that I've made so far, and there's many others, and hopefully you'll comment on these two and maybe add a few of your own as we talk about love today, what it is and what it is not. The two points I've made so far is that there's a major difference between emotional love, especially on the lower frequencies, this very needy, even lusty, gimme some. I'm going to get loved. All right. Uh, and spiritual love, which metaphysically is understood to be like the ocean or the air, just everywhere equally present. We hold on to love, but you don't hold on to air. I mean, wh- why would you not want, if you had a bunch of air that you're breathing, wonderful, oxygen, fresh, how come you don't hold on to it and try to take it with you where you go? Well, because you know wherever you go, the air will be there. There will be oxygen to breathe. So why don't we know that about love? Because we've got it and we fail to recognize it. We don't know how to conjure it. We don't permit ourselves to experience it. Maybe it's just the very fact that we expect it to be done to us or for us or by another. Again, some sort of swap. If you love me... I'll love you. Again, it'll work for a week or two, maybe even a month or two. But then the emptiness returns, and because you gave the other person credit for allowing you to feel loved in the first place, then when the emptiness returns, you blame them for <laughs> for not doing it anymore. One of the big hints about why love seems to have its ebb and flow, both as emotion and as spirit. Again, it's always available as spirit. It's everywhere equally present. That's one of the great mysteries of love. But we can ignore it. We can deny it. We can resist it. And we do that with fear and ignorance. So there you go. The basic problem is fear and ignorance. The basic solution is love and understanding. But again, as long as we think of it as some sort of emotional thing, love your enemy will never make sense. Love everywhere equally present will never make sense. Love is the only thing that exists, the only thing that is true and real, the only thing that endures. We'll never understand it. So that's the first point, and then again, in summary, the second point, it is not a goal or a destination, love. It's not a a place that you get to. It is not the result of any activity. It is, quite differently, the motive, the prime mover, the vehicle, okay, that gets you there. And so we have to learn, and we can, indeed, It's what life is about, one could argue, to better understand love, not simply as an emotion, not simply as a goal, but much more accurately, much more inclusively as an eternal, uh, infinite force, uh, harmonizing and unifying force. The unified field is what the quantum physicist calls it. 
You have to, of course, understand that the spiritual love is also consciousness, that love is consciousness or awareness, that awareness itself is spiritual love. Again, not emotional love, because you, <laughs> you could be aware of the ache that is an apparent absence of emotional love, and yet the awareness itself is love. How about that? It's, it's something that needs work. And again, our, our politicians sure aren't going to tell us about it. So those are just two of the main points that I thought I'd make today. Love as, as a spiritual force is the only thing that's real and true is not simply an emotional, warm, cuddly feeling. And the second point I'd love to get your comment on. It's not a destination. It, it's not a goal. There is no way to love. Love is the way. Okay. It's the motivator. It's the vehicle. It's, well, what's that old saw about life itself? Is not a destination, but a journey. Isn't it funny how we try to get our ducks in a row? We want to get it all together. How you doing? Fine, man. I'm getting it together. And, and I feel like saying, no, you're not. Because <laughs> just about the time you get it all together, you think you got all your ducks in a row, everything in your life seems to be working well. Uh-huh, I heard you. That's right. Something comes along to mess it up, and we say, man, if I could just get it together, and then I could live my life. No, man, living your life is about this attempt to understand these concepts. This isn't in the way of your life. This is your life. This idea that we're supposed to be uh, comfortable and problem-free is is the nonsense of the isms, the capitalism and the communism and, and the promises of people that benefit from various kinds of, of worldly power. And it's not going to happen. But you can pull on eternal, infinite love. You can will to love. You can practice experiencing that you already have it and then endure the trials and tribulations and celebrate the rewards and the benefits and stop whining about the former. It's like we want love, for example, to be all warm and fuzzy and all uh, present and cuddly and good. And I'm sorry, nobody's, or I'll say it this way, too few people are willing to tell us that that's part of the experience of love, but there's also the broken heart, the loss, the grief, the longing. It's just as much a part of it as well. So a couple ideas about love. Why is spiritual love or how is spiritual love so very different from an emotion? And what does it mean that it is not a destination, a goal, or the result, but a motive, something that we already have? That everything that we're looking for in this regard, peace of mind, happiness, and love, we already have, but we don't recognize it, and so we go looking for it. And how much of your madness, how much of your frustration, how much of your anxiety and stress comes from this search for that which you already have, indeed already are, have been, and will continue to be 
love to hear from you. Hear the word? I'd love. <laughs> I'd be happy to hear from you on this whole topic of love. Capital L, love. The ocean, everywhere equally present. Versus uh, the idea that love is some sort of emotional commodity. 818-985-5735. Again, I... I, I Brooks is a producer. She sorts through these phone calls. So I'd like to hear from people who are very knowledgeable and and have done a lot of work in this field, but I'm also just as happy to hear from people for whom this is stunning, who have never really thought very much about this at all, and we'll see if we can mix the two up, okay, and and uh, go far and wide with this. 818-985-5735. Love, what is it? What does it mean there's no way to love? Love is the way. Okay, what does that mean? And love your enemy? I don't even like the guy. How could I love him? 818-985-5735. You talk to Brooks. We'll be back with your calls right after this. Michael Benner on Intervision. This is KPFK. KPFK, Los Angeles, and your very own radio. It's Intervision till 2 o'clock this afternoon. My name is Michael Benner, and uh, we're hanging out with you today. Intervision, a program about metaphysics and mysticism, about magic, about uh, consciousness. Today we're talking about love. You know, the idea that love is consciousness, spiritual love, not emotional love, is consciousness itself, was, uh, for me, a huge leap. First time I saw that in a book, or I mean the first time I recognized it, maybe I saw it and it just didn't hit me, but the first time that leaped off a page at me, I just had to close the book. I put my finger inside to save my place, but I closed the book. I was I swooned. It was like, oh my God, why didn't anybody tell me this before? So... Most of us have been exposed to the nature of mindfulness, to the idea that we can detach and and look at our behavior and recognize we are more than our behavior, just like we're more than our stuff. We all know people who think they are their car, their house, their trophy wife or whatever. We go, no, no, I'm beyond that. I know, I know, I'm not even my body. And then you go further and... And I can witness my feelings and my thoughts, so I'm not really my feelings and my thoughts. Breath watching, one of the, one of the oldest meditations there is, just focusing on the bottom of your nose and watching the ebb and flow of your breath as you would maybe watch waves at the shoreline of the ocean. You could sit there for the longest time and just watch that natural ebb and flow. You do that with your breath, you realize I'm not the breather, I'm the watcher, I'm the one watching. Well, that identity of the watcher, the witness, the consciousness, is one approach to mysticism and and metaphysics, but to know that that's also the love that the mystics have talked about, that that create these epiphanies, the swooning, the you know the eyes rolled up, the 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 mystical union, the yoga, uh, 
That's a big leap for a lot of folks. I mean, there's sort of like two entry points that at some point have to come together, that love is consciousness. It's not just an emotion, that it is an ocean, so to speak, everywhere equally present. Heck, doesn't Van Morrison do a song, Love is Everywhere? I think he does. He's a bit of a mystic himself, Van Morrison, student of theosophy. There's a song, Love is Everywhere. It is. Why would you go looking? <laughs> Again, it's like looking for air, you know. See what you all think. Let's go down to Orange County. And Joe, you're on KPFK with Michael Benner. How you doing? Hi, Michael. I appreciate your show. Thank you. Um, my, my thing is, uh, I've been single for four years, and uh, I just recently broke up with a girl. Well, actually, she broke up with me, and I, you know, I know it's it's not a good relationship, and I know it's for the best that I don't I'm not with her, but I just can't seem to get over the loneliness. And I was wondering if you had some tips or ideas I can do or to try and get over the loneliness. Yeah, to jumpstart it, right? Yeah. It's like the battery's dead, and all you need is a little jumpstart, and you know it'll run if you could just get a little jumpstart. Yeah, I think the secret is giving rather than receiving. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, certainly we could sit for hours, and that's part of the challenge of doing a radio show on deep topics like this. But I think that uh, the loneliness that we all know, certainly, we all know. I've spent lots of hours uh, licking my wounds and feeling sorry for myself and and lonely as well. I certainly know that feeling. But... I think a way to turn that around is to think about if what we're talking about today, if the mystics, the avatars, the saints are right about this idea of love being everywhere equally present, and it's always available to us, indeed we are what we've been looking for, then we could pull on that reservoir and give love to somebody. And Mm -hmm. so... Maybe a nice antidote for those feelings of loneliness, of loss and grief, which are real enough. Don't deny them. Don't deny it. You miss your girlfriend. You miss the affection. You miss the cuddling. You miss the the sweet nothings and the little whispers and the smiles. Let's not be in denial about that. But maybe a good response to that would be to smile at somebody else, to do something nice for somebody, to to... You know, just go out of your way a little bit. Maybe even the way you drive in traffic to slow down, hit the brake instead of the it's accelerator. Funny, funny you mentioned that because that's exactly what I've been doing, <laughs> slowing down and, and just and taking longer walks instead of, you know, rushing through the store, just leisurely going through, there you go. looking around and just, you know, enjoying what's out there. But yeah. I'm trying to, you know, do that. And But the, the, my problem is, I mean, I'm an entertainer, and I'm a very introverted entertainer. It's really hard for me to go up to a table and talk to people, or, you know, and just, or just talk to people in general. You know, one of the secrets of small talk, and uh, maybe we'll do a show on small talk. I have done presentations to groups in the past on small talk. Um, chambers of commerce and service organizations and such like that. And one of the secrets of making small talk is asking questions. Mm-hmm. And and I don't mean just uh, patronizing questions like, hi, how are you? I mean, that's jive, mm-hmm. right? People ask us how we are. They don't really want to know. But um, what's your name? Where are you from? Why are you here tonight? Are you enjoying yourself? What did you like most about this or that? 
coming from a sincere place. People, okay. especially when they ask people about themselves, most people will love if they're given an opportunity uh, to talk about themselves. So I think, again, without dwelling on it, because it's a bit off topic, but not really, since love stands behind all things to the exclusion of no thing, uh, I would consider that. Just use a question. Use a series of questions. And then also use visualization in states of deep relaxation to practice that little patter, that little chatter, small talk. Okay. That th- sounds reasonable. Yeah, I think you'll, you'll find that that works. And then the other thing is, uh, just in parting, remember to love yourself. We haven't talked much about that today, but that means simply treating yourself the way you would treat somebody that you love. Mm-hmm. So, uh, if on a given day you were feeling particular love for someone, you might think about how can I express that? Maybe I'll buy them flowers or a little gift or just write a little card or a poem or make a phone call with some sweet endearment or something. Well, do that for you. Do something nice for you. Buy yourself something nice. Do something nice for yourself. Treat yourself to you know, we're so good at denying ourselves. Mm-hmm. Treat yourself with gentleness and kindness as if you were someone you really, really loved. And see if that doesn't help jumpstart it too. That and the idea of giving something away. Go volunteer. Go do something like Just smile at somebody who's... You see somebody having a bad day? Say something to make them feel better. Okay. It's easy. It's cheap. And it has a reward. <laughs> the reward is you will reap what you sow. So by giving that little bit of kindness, you'll get a little bit back. Okay. I know this is a little off the topic and everything, but I just, I gotta say this. I really believe that 911 was an inside job and I don't blame terrorists or Arabs or I blame people for not paying attention to what's going on in this country. And that's part of what I do is, uh, we, we have screenings about, uh, the DVDs actually you guys give away during your pledge. And I, I think that's part of, you know, I, I see kind of the world in a, in a dark, dingy manner right now. And I want to try and, I don't want to get away from that, but I, I want to kind of tone uh, that down a little bit, I you know? That. Part of being a positive thinker is having the courage to look at the really scary, negative, frightening stuff. And I, I respect and honor that. There's room in a show on love and mysticism for talking about <laughs> the okay. darkest side of humanity. Uh, when we come to understand there's nobody here called them, then of course we did it to ourselves. Right. No question about it. Okay. Thanks for calling, Joe. Thank you, Michael. Have a good day. Let's go to Santa Monica. Lily, you're on KPFK on Intervision with Michael Hi, Benner. Hi, Michael. Hello, Lily. Thanks for taking my call. Thanks for calling. I have a neighbor. You know how every building has one of those who is an exceedingly hateful person, and she has decided to scapegoat me so she can handle it. And I find that even though there's no way I can like her, it's even difficult to respect her, I cannot function if I deny the fact that I love her. Oh, beautiful. I just, How'd you come to that? Uh, by trying to deny it. <laughs> you, know? you tried to hate her and you just couldn't work it up? Yeah. I mean, there are periods when I can get really angry, you know, when she comes sure. out and attacks me. But sure. um, 
that's not the same thing as really hating somebody. I cannot live in hate. I just don't thrive. I well, mean, hate is another way, and it's a yeah. rotten way. Then you would become her. Yeah. I don't know why that's not obvious to more of us. You know, a similar concept that almost makes me laugh, except that it's so sad and pathetic, is when we, and I'm going to say we, including me, because I get unconscious too sometimes, when we decide that we're not going to be compassionate or we're not going to forgive, the alternative is, I will not forget. I will carry that grudge. I will not forgive. I will hold on to that hurt to prove to you what a horrible person you are. But then if I hold on to the hurt, who's hurting? Well, I am, of course. I mean, how do... <laughs> yeah. it's like so backward and inside out. And yet that seems to be what most human beings want, to somehow prove to another person how bad they are. I am going to torture myself, and that ought to teach you. And yeah. so I just don't get it. <laughs> I think it goes back to that whole thing, what do you want? Do you want to be happy or do you want to be right? If you uh, want to be right, you're going to be on the path of hate eventually. Uh, and if, you're going to, if you want to be happy, your path is love. There's uh, no other choice. My friend uh, Steve Snyder, who's been on this show many times, I've worked with for 25 or 30 years, yes. has a nice rap about that. He says, you know, pessimists are right most of the time. Pessimists are almost always right. But if that's important to you, then go ahead and be negative. Be a pessimist. Expect the worst. You'll probably be right. And if you get satisfaction from that, fine. Steve says this better than I do. The optimist is wrong most of the time, but has such a wonderful time on the way to realizing that they need to modify their beliefs. And well, that right and wrong is all perception anyway. There you go. It's all subjective, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. Well, that's a nice story, and I'm glad you have some compassion, even though she probably, your nasty neighbor tests it from time to time. <laughs> yes, but. she does. <laughs> but I'm learning to know the difference between anger and hatred. And at the end of the day, she's got to live with herself. Yeah, if I want revenge, there it is. There it is. <laughs> it's already taken care of. Yep. It's already handled for her. Okay. Let's all send her some love. Let's do. Thanks. Okay. Bye-bye. Seems obvious enough, right? Why would people... I don't understand why people sit around talking about such inane things when we can have really deep conversations like this. And, gosh... I don't mean politics. I love politics. I love talking about politics. I can even understand how people are interested in sports. I have some friends that are interested in fantasy sports, as if there's not enough in collegiate sports, in professional sports. They have to invent fantasy sports, and they love it. It's a great fine. I, I <laughs> That's okay with me. And politics is a spectator sport? Yeah, sure. I'm okay with that. Seems to me there ought to be room for this kind of conversation that you ought to be able to walk through a coffee shop or some other public place and hear people talking deeply about these concepts. If you have people in your life with whom you do that, well, then you are blessed, aren't you? 818-985-5735. we got some other callers on the line. And uh, let's go to Anaheim. And Jim, you're on KPFK with Michael Benner. Hi, Jim. Hey, Michael. How are you? I'm better and better. Thank you. And you? 
I'm very good. I'm, I'm really grateful for a show like this. Thank um, you. Because it's so important to talk about this stuff. But, you know, it, it, it seems to me like the what's necessary for us to love, you know, another person or uh, anything, the, the planet, um, our neighbor, even ourselves, we have to sort of become conscious of a connection between the two of us. And, and then the love can happen. But it seems like we've, um, we've sort of mastered the art of, of breaking that connection. And it, it, it seems to me like that connection would be innate, sort of organic, like, like the glue that holds everything together. It is. And if, but if it is, how do, we, how do we manage to so disconnect from ourselves and everything else around us so that we can create this world that we see? There's only one way we can do that, and that's fear. And fear, which is intimately related to ignorance and confusion, for fear comes out of confusion and promotes confusion. It's a vicious cycle of fear and ignorance or anxiety and confusion. I I think it's a byproduct of being in what appear to be separate bodies in a world of separated forms where nothing touches anything mm. unless you reach out to hold somebody's hand, to shake their hand, to give them a hug, you know, to spoon and cuddle and such. That's why that feels so wonderful. And, um, you know, there's a, uh, back in the day in the, uh, original Twilight, uh, not Twilight Zone, what am I trying to say? The original Star Trek episodes with Spock and Kirk and, right, right. and those guys, there was an episode where these non-physical entities, uh, talked Kirk into loaning him a couple of bodies. So they could experience what it would be like to be in form. And, of course, the storyline developed that once they had the bodies for a couple of days, they weren't going to give them back. <laughs> and so there was your plot line. But what was ironic, is that the right word, ironic, or just backwards, or just plain damn wrong about the whole premise, was that a non-physical entity is separated and only by coming into form can it know union. Mm. When, in fact, spiritual laws, I'll ar we could argue whether they're law, philosophy, dictum, postulate, whatever, is that in body you're separated, but disembodied you're like a wave on the ocean. You are individuated but very clearly grounded in the ocean. Mm. The wave knows I'm not that wave, I'm not that wave over there, but hey, who's kidding who? We're all the ocean. Yeah, we're all part of it. But when we get vaporized into clouds and raindrops and mountain rivers, we forget the ocean of things. And so it's in that forgetting, in I would suggest in the identifying of our separate form nature, that we reach out looking for what, in fact, we already have, if we would but learn to adjust the frequency of our consciousness. And that's what meditation is, and contemplation in its various forms, is tuning the frequency of consciousness to be more aware of self than the world around you, or 
All of our physical senses point out and tell us about the physical world. Well, we have internal, transcendental senses that tell us about the interior landscape, but it's not honored in a materialistic society. Capitalist, communist, socialist, we're all about the stuff, you see, that, right. that, that we know is in perpetual decay. That's that. I mean, even the satisfaction that comes from acquiring material stuff never lasts. The stuff doesn't last. The satisfaction of getting stuff doesn't last. But, boy, we are hooked on it, aren't we? Yeah, and you always you have to have more and more and more because yeah. you get tired of the stuff you got yesterday. And we've been doing that since we were five years old at Christmas. Yeah. You gotta have it, mommy. You gotta have it. Gotta have it. Gotta have it. And then by mid-January, it's on the shelf. Yeah. Well, okay, for little kids, but when you're 40, 50, 60, and you're still doing the same thing. <laughs> you should notice by now. You'd think so. <laughs> nice but, talking to you. Give me a parting shot or a final comment. Well, I just, I just, I just wonder if uh, we, as a, as a, as a people, can can come to that realization before we destroy ourselves. That's one of the age-old questions. Even back in the, the days of Pythagoras, there was a great debate about whether all human souls would be redeemed, mm. or and and whether God would just have to give up on a bunch of them because they never really got it. Yeah. Lifetime after lifetime. And then the religion comes along and says, oh, no, you only got one crack at it. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I don't know. If we can't get it in hundreds of lifetimes, what are the chances we're going to get it in one? Of course, Christianity has a nice spin on that. They say you don't really have to get it. You just have to stand behind Christ who did get it. Mm, yeah. Interesting concept. but That is an old debate, uh, whether uh, in time... Uh, all that is evil or negative or dark will be redeemed, whether all that is not love will become love, or whether God just has to at some point throw in the towel. Let me know if you get there first. I'll let you know. <laughs> okay. Let's take one more before we wrap it up here. Uh, Intervision on KPFK. Let's go to Richard in Ontario. I just got a minute, Richard. What's going on? Hello, Michael. Howdy. Nice to talk to you. Yeah, I just yeah. got a minute for you. Great, great subject, man. Great show. Thank you. Um, you, you really, you really touched me with that. Um, I just wanted to make a comment. Uh, you kind of got a lot of things staring at me. But the biggest comment uh, is, is I, w- I want to agree with you um, on the point that it's, it's for me, it's healthier physically to work on the love thing than the hate thing. But it is so challenging um, to live in the society that we live in with all the things we've been talking about—the materialism the different political groups and the things that they use to try to keep people together, the fact that you see people falling for all this stuff and people reacting and then they react and they treat you bad and then all. But but anyway, love is the way to go, but I struggle, I struggle with it daily, man. So, and sometimes I, I find myself getting so wrapped up. I, I Sometimes I just get, oh, man, I mean, just, just watching the TV. I've, I finally learned how to turn the TV off. And not expect anything from that, but then I get frustrated at people that watch the TV and believe the stuff, and then think that they just watch um, some truth, and then they come spouting the stuff as if they just read it from an encyclopedia or something. But anyway, love, love is the way. 
Well, frustration is something we have to learn to deal with. Frustration comes from wanting things to be other than they are. Right. And yet we don't even understand acceptance. I have a hard time with that. I have to remind myself that when I accept that things are the way they are, that right. doesn't mean that I throw in the towel or I give up. I right. see acceptance not as an ending, but as a place to begin. Right. And to initiate a behavior out of that acceptance, uh, that can be a pretty good uh, antidote to frustration. Right. And to consi- them. consider maybe things are the way they are for a reason. Maybe you got fired from that job. And you're feeling pretty scared and desperate right now, but maybe there's something even better around the corner. Right. And that's so often the case. Right. You know? I've, right. I just recently crossed a, a, a I guess a, a point in my life to where I finally let go of all that stuff because it just didn't feel good. Yeah, well. You know, like you said before, I was trying to hate other people to make them uh, let them know that they were miserable by making myself feel bad. And justify your misery. That's, That's right. Stupid. That's right. If I'm going to be miserable, you better be miserable. i got to run. Nice talking to you. All right. Thank you. Okay. Thanks for calling. This has been Intervision on KPFK, heard Monday through Friday. Michael Benner, your Friday host for this program on mysticism, magic, and consciousness. Hope you've enjoyed it. We'll be back next week. In fact, we have a marvelous guest next week. Uh, a woman I've known for a long time, but I haven't seen her in a couple of decades. Uh, and we're going to talk about intuition, ritual, ceremony, from a feminist, uh, a feminist, even a Wiccan point of view. That'll be next week, my guest, Ruth Barrett. Be sure and tune in for that. Intervision on KPFK Fridays at 1. Thanks uh, to Brooks for being our producer, as always, today. D'Angelo Jones, our engineer, to my wife, Doreen, for all her help. And to each of you for listening and calling and being part of this great Pacific Commission. As always, be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. This is Michael Benner. You've been listening to Intervision on the radio powered by the people, KPFK, 90.7 FM Los Angeles, 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, and streaming live at kpfk.org.